0: James Golden, aka Bo Snerdly on 77 WABC, the Crown Jewel of American Radio.
1: Good morning and welcome to your Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. James Golden, Bo Snurdly, with you here. eight hundred eight four eight 848 WABC is the number to call if you want to know today's program. Eight hundred eight four eight. 848 9 two, 2 2 And of course, so much has gone on. It has been two weeks since I've been here. I was due to come back uh, and be with you last Saturday. And apologies that I was not able to uh, make it. I got trapped in uh, Italy. The flight that I was uh, due to come back on was canceled because of mechanical difficulties and it took another day for them to get the plane ready they had to fly in apart from paris apparently so that we could make our way home and of course on the way home i got sick oh, what a trip you know i but it was it was so cold but i made it home and i'm glad to be home and let me tell you something if you have ever been through Other, uh, from other countries and you go through their security. I, when I got back into the United States, one of the first things I did was thank the first TSA agent that I uh, came across that was handling our security coming back because it was so efficient and, you know, you go through customs. I have, um, uh, global access, whatever it is. And it was so efficient. And so let's let's move things right along as opposed to uh, when you're in other places, they don't have the same sort of uh, emphasis on making sure that customers can can get through to where they're going quickly. And so it was a delight and a joy. It's always a delight to come home, but it was a wonderful time. I got to see some great places that I had never uh, seen in my life and. And. But, you know, there's nothing like being back home in the good old USA. And so I'm sorry I wasn't here last weekend. I'm glad that you are here with us this weekend. And we hope that we have some great discussions. Uh, there's so much, if you were paying attention to the news, as I know many of you were this week, you saw or have heard about, read about, unless you read some of the mainstream press, where there was barely a mention of it, the congressional hearings with the IRS whistleblowers that kind of laid out the case against Hunter Biden and also the case against the DOJ and FBI for slow walking an investigation that should have been already completed. And you also learned that there was an agreement in place between those investigators to bring felony charges against hunter biden that were quite serious and somehow or another that didn't happen and the somehow or another was due to intervention from one intervention that was noted was from a uh donor to joe biden who was appointed over at the doj a lot of questions my friend who joins us every first hour usually here on Saturdays Derek hunter, a podcaster a broadcaster in his own right a journalist in his own right is with us Derek good morning. How are you?
2: You had me go until you called me a journalist James that is uh, well you are pain. kind of a
1: journalist you've written for ages as a columnist I should refer to you as a columnist more than a journalist
2: yeah I've aggregated news for money but uh, I would I would never deign to do journalism no way.
1: I'm doing well. Well, nobody's I, uh, deigning. Nobody in the mainstream press is deigning to do journalism much. I keep laughing every time I see uh, "Democracy Dies in Darkness," with well, journalism <laughs> is dying in broad daylight. Uh, democracy dies most- in
2: darkness, and the Washington Post is out there trying to destroy the power grid. It's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where you just sit there and you watch it and you go, "Oh, you you couldn't find a, a single word to say about this uh, this." FBI form, they, they they haven't reported on it. They at least they hadn't as of yesterday, as far as I knew. The ten twenty three form, and when you look at the way the rest of the media and the left has reported on it, I tell you it's amazing, James. You can juxtapose the coverage of the ten twenty three form alleging, and now it's alleging the uh, bribery of Joe Biden, and compare that to, oh, I don't know, just pick a random thing like the reporting on the unverified dossier that actually every time they tried to verify it, all they did was get a dead end and become literally unable to verify it, which means that they'd look into something and find out that it couldn't have been true, like Michael Cohen went over to wherever the hell Michael Cohen would have alleged to have gone. He didn't leave the country. He wasn't there. But they're like, oh, well, we'll just run with it anyway. CNN's headline for the uh, January 12th, 2017, the first reporting of the Steele dossier was Intel chiefs presented Trump with claims of Russian efforts to compromise him. Now, as reported by Evan Perez, terrible leftist, Jim Sciutto, former Obama administration official, Jake Tapper, former Democratic staffer. In the House of Representatives and Carl Bernstein, the anchor on Woodward and Bernstein, who I don't know what he did aside from cheat on his wives. Then you go to just this week when the 1023 form was released, the headline by three reporters, Annie Grayer, Marshall Cohen, and Jeremy Herb, their headline, Grassley releases internal FBI document about unverified Biden bribery allegations. They want to make sure that if you just skim the headline, there is no ambiguity that they're calling B.S. on this thing no matter what from the start. In that story, James, they barely mention anything mentioned in the 1023 form. They do mention that the House, White House has denied it, the Bidens have denied it, that it is unverified, that it is uh, allegations are unproven, etc., etc., but they don't bother to tell you what those allegations were. There are stalkers with less dedication to their targets than the media have to protecting Joe Biden.
1: When you look at what the allegations were, let's talk about that for a minute. Because what we learned, if you watch these hearings carefully, was that the money flow from foreign nations into the Biden family are now uh, upwards of over $17 million. Uh, John Casamitidi sent me an editorial this morning from the New York uh, post, and one of the, the, the headline of that editorial is the post says, Joe Biden can't keep dodging the questions of corru- uh, corruption. Talk, big guy. <laughs> and one of the things in there they go through, um, they go through these allegations. They tried to probe $17 million Hunter Biden, Biden made from foreign clients, blocked at every turn. And these two IRS whistleblowers, one of them um, was as is is, is pointed out very often, a Democrat who is also a member of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And he was very forceful in his opening statement, saying that what led him to come testify was the urgency to do the right thing. It wasn't political ideology. In fact, no, he's a Democrat. He noticed the way that this case, he he observed not noticed the way that this case was being handled and mismanaged from the inside and felt an obligation because of what the the gravity of these allegations to come forward
2: james hunter biden didn't declare millions of dollars in income and the the irs which would take your house let the statute of limitations expire They let it expire. They didn't send him a bill. They could have started the process and said, hey, uh, we couldn't help but notice that seven years ago you brought in a lot of money and you owe us $150,000 and you didn't uh, give us anything. But they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing and let it expire. How many other people do you think who were under active investigation where they had reason to suspect, not even as much smoking gun evidence, but reason to suspect that they owed them 15 cents? Did they say, "Well, you know what? We'll catch- I'm sure they'll make good on it the next one." And the president of the United States running around. It's your patriotic duty to pay taxes. Oh, you make the rich pay their fair share, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, granted, Hunter has apparently snorted all his money and is sleeping on a couch in the uh, in the guest room in the White House. But at a certain point, maybe tell him, "Hey." You owe know, the government like a hundred and a million and a half dollars. How about you, you go sell three paintings and pay that off so we don't look like raging hypocrites. Instead, you get Joe Biden doing the old guy shuffle out of the room, confused about which way to go. But now I'm beginning to wonder whether or not who is the mobster who faked having dementia to try and get out of uh, responsibility. I'm thinking Joe Biden might actually be yes. on the ball. He's just kind of faking it. If, if there's that great Saturday Night Live skit from the Reagan administration during Iran-Contra where Ronald Reagan, they'd be sitting there with the Girl Scouts, and they well, it's okay, I'll take a picture. And then they go out and they go, all right, get everybody back in here. And Reagan was the man in charge, and everybody around him was an idiot. And they, it was a hilarious skit. Maybe that's what Joe Biden is pulling off. If Saturday Night Live were, A, still not on hiatus, and B, Attempting to be funny, they could have done something with that. But instead, we get Jake Tapper interviewing Mr. Ziegler, the gay Democrat whistleblower, and then immediately having a Democrat on to rebut what was just said. Do you remember? Think back. Think hard. Do you remember the last time there was a Republican scandal where they had a witness or a a primary in the story on, they conducted a hostile interview And then immediately had somebody on to rebut it, not a member of a panel, but somebody specifically on alone by themselves to rebut what was what they just sort of reported. Like Jake Tapper accidentally did some journalism and then he felt icky and needed a Silkwood shower. So he brought out the steel wool brushes and scrubbed himself off with that New York Democrat coming out there. It's. It's sickening. It's I, I want to go back anymore. to what
1: you said about letting the statute uh, go, because this is I was watching the hearings. And when they got to this part, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, because what they what what the whistleblower said was that there was an agreement with Hunter Biden's lawyers to extend the statute. hmm. And it was the DOJ who basically said, nope, let it go. Let it go.
2: Did you notice, and this is, I, I I think it's the point of my column tomorrow at town hall. I'm not, I can't remember. I wrote a bunch of them uh, it had But there was not a single Democrat who was at all interested, not even remotely interested in the prospect of there being corruption in the Biden administration. There wasn't a single journalist who was interested in it. There's a challenge for them out there, if they were honest people, which they're not. Disprove this. And I realize it's hard to to prove a negative. But investigate these allegations, and you can disprove them. You can debunk them. They don't. They simply declare them to be A, old, which is straight out of the Clinton playbook, and B, irrelevant. And then also see Donald Trump exists. That seems to be, and racism exists. Those were the the stages of Democrats' involvement in that hearing. There wasn't one single person who sat there and said, you know, you just made a really compelling case. The president's son owes hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. And our government, through malfeasance, through incompetence, through whatever you want to call it, um, let that slide. Now, whether or not it was done because he's president's son is one thing, but that it happened at all is disturbing. So I'd like the name of the people who decided that because it's the opposite of their job. It's not prosecutorial discretion. It is for it's it's Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness on a on a very localized but large scale. There wasn't a single Democrat who gave a damn. Jamie Raskin was drooling over the prospect of being able to say, but Donald Trump. Well, they can accuse and they have accused Donald Trump of all sorts of things. They've never actually proven anything that Donald Trump did. If you show me a smoking gun of Donald Trump doing something illegal, I'd say, well, that's Bad. And he should be punished for that. That's the rules. But they have it. They just all kind of wink and nod at each other like the whole world is a green room at MSNBC. And they go, yeah, Donald Trump is the most corrupt president. Well, obviously, threat to democracy. Of course. Yes. They're all a bunch of bobbleheads taped to the dashboard of the family truckster going down a bumpy road with their heads just bobbing right along going, yep, 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 yep. There's no discussion. It's all just one upsmanship. It's disgusting. And it's damaging to the country. And they're either setting a real new precedent that's going to be uh, interesting to watch going forward or um, preparing for one of the biggest hypocrisies in all of human history, although hypocrisy doesn't matter anymore to the left. So I, I, I just- when we get
1: back from the break, I want to talk about the, the impact of all of this because you just said something that I've been very concerned about, Derek, which is, What does all of this do to the stability of America as a nation? We have legal cases now against former president over 70 charges that Donald, and that's so far. Georgia has yet to weigh in. Mm -hmm. And in Georgia, they're looking at uh, perhaps what we've been told in the press this week is that that grand jury there is going to be looking at multiple charges against multiple people. Uh, So you have already 70 some odd charges against Donald Trump, you've got this thing going on, whether the press reports it or not, a significant number of the American people understand now that there is at least credible testimony that the then-sitting vice president and his son were involved in what can best be described as maybe a protection racket or a lobbying effort for foreign governments, Romania, China, and uh, and and uh, the Ukraine are among where the money came from. So you have all of this happening. And so my question when we get back, and I'll, I'll go through it very briefly then, is what about the stability of this nation? Because if there was one thing that America was able to become this beacon of the world for was that people felt that at least when it came to law, the application of law, the United States was a the the light of the world. And what is all this doing to America's image abroad? James Golden, A.K.A. snurly Saturday morning, is WABC's number to call. Coming back, don't you go away. We'll be right back. Today is the birthday of Don Henley, singer, songwriter, drummer from the Eagles. Uh, You know this one. 1977. Hotel California. Happy birthday to Don Henley. You should see, if you haven't been on social media, all of the tributes that are pouring out over Tony Bennett. It's just a good thing and an amazing thing to see. And I mean, you have people, which one of the things that has kind of creeped me out a little bit, I have to be honest with you, is when I see dead artists tweeting as if they're still alive, you know, and and I understand it. these are the legacy accounts of people that have have passed away. But so I'm looking, I'm scrolling through stuff, I'm searching through news, and I see this beautiful picture of Natalie Cole. And with Tony Bennett and then it says Natalie Cole and, and she's got a comment to make. Somebody has a comment to make under Natalie Cole's name about Tony Bennett. It kind of creeped me. I said, Natalie, Natalie's not here. Um, and, and I've seen that a few times, but, but the tributes to Tony Bennett and, and they span generations and generations of, of, of singers of of musicians i saw pictures with of him with ray charles with with um with it, just from all over stephen bishop had a great one uh so many people so i mean what a charmed life that uh, tony bennett had there's a big story say yeah go ahead
2: mm-hmm. uh i don't mean this in any disrespectful way uh oh here we go starting to create, no 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 no, no. I, I was. I, if you'd have asked me three days ago, I would have thought Tony Bennett died years ago. What? And then I realized that it was just his announcement. I remember his announcement that he had Alzheimer's, and I guess I just sort of, I remembered that because when he died, I was, my first reaction was, is somebody tweeting a really old story? but you know, it's oh it's man sad. no I, I,
1: he was out of the public eye obviously yeah he was for a little bit but you know he kept performing even though he had alzheimers he was still performing well,
2: i thought in 2015 or 16 or something like that he announced his official retirement because of his alzheimers whatever i i, I was There are a lot of people when they pass where you're just like, oh, I thought that they'd pass. I mean, it's sad. I mean, I guess it's not really all that sad when you're 96 years old. You had a hell of a life.
1: It's still sad.
2: And it's sad for his family. But I mean, who wouldn't want 96 years of Uh, that that too? There's that. But, you know, every once in a while you see celebrities trending on Twitter and you just sit there and you go, you kind of hold your breath a little bit, don't you? You know, why? Yeah. Why is this person? Why is Paul McCartney trending? And then you go, okay, it's it's Paul McCartney's birthday. Okay, thank thank goodness. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens. But and I, Jamie Foxx made something here. By the I'll... way, Jamie Foxx made um, a video. And did you guys have you guys? Oh, he any did. You guys I didn't know, know st- that. Is he? Yeah, anyone? and he's he's thanking the, those the doctors and everyone. He's he may not be a hundred percent back from what I get. I had n- I didn't have time to watch the the full video, but I read but proof uh, a little bit is... about his statement. And yeah, he's he says he's coming back, they and he hasn't detailed so. yet what happened to him, but he said that he didn't want to show the public uh, pictures or he didn't want pictures shown of him with tubes hanging out of him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he did say that uh, that he's coming back.
2: Let me ask you a question. I I collect baseball cards, vintage ones. I don't like the new stuff. I like I collect baseball cards. You know, got uh, some of my favorites are got an Ernie Banks rookie, uh, Al Kaline rookie, Wayne Gretzky rookie. Can't afford any mantles, but Wayne Gretzky
1: uh, paid baseball. You no, know, expo- they're
2: all called baseball cards. Just like every oh. cotton swab is called a Q-tip. You know. You know okay. Go, Let me get the generic cotton swabs. Um. The National Card Collector Show is in happening this uh, next weekend in Chicago, where you can pay, you can get up to about $3,000 if you want Joe Montana to write two-time or three-time Super Bowl champion and his name and MVP or whatever on it. It's ridiculous. And then you want to get a picture with him. And he's got an email. I don't collect autographs, but once you get into this world, they just sort of find you. There's a private signing coming up for Clint Eastwood, speaking of legends, speaking of people up there in age. If you had to guess, and you had an 8 by 10 photograph that you took yourself and Clint Eastwood, and you thought, I'd really love to get this autographed by Clint Eastwood, how much do you think it would cost you to get your Clint Eastwood photograph autographed? Well, maybe a grand close 750 dollars you went over you kind of pooped on my point but yeah it is 750 dollars if you have original artwork larger than 16 by 20 it'll cost you five grand and there's everything in between including if you want hats or b- fifteen hundred dollars for a boxing glove you make one movie about boxing about women boxing he didn't even box and it's uh fifteen hundred bucks and you just sit there and you go We've really gone insane because that Joe Montana—it costs you, I think, uh, three grand if you want him to sign something. Maybe it's fifteen hundred if you want him to sign something that Tom Brady has also signed. And you, you just look at that and you go, you could probably buy an autographed helmet from both of them for significantly less than than that. But having gone to these national conventions, there'll be a line that he won't be able to accommodate there of people willing to set mortgage payments on fire to get him to sign a Notre Dame jersey. It's just, it's insane. I don't know. We are a a wealthy country and you hear all these stories about how everybody's one $400 medical bill away from destitution and living in the back of their Miata or something like that. And you go, I I think our priorities are screwed up. I don't doubt that that there are a lot of people who live like that. But if you go to these things and you'll see – you go to a, a, a neighborhood in uh, maybe a, a lower economic-rung neighborhood and you will see guys at the diner with $10,000 worth of tattoos on their, their forearms and their, their chests and their face. And,
1: and the mosquitoes. gold chains and the rest of it, too. And a
2: car nicer than I've ever owned in my entire life outside. And you're like, how are your priorities – So it leads me to, for no particular reason whatsoever, um, my belief in the welfare state. We have a welfare state. Fine. I am all for giving somebody a hand up, not a handout. But the day you sign up for welfare, the government has to take your picture in your underwear. Not for fetish purposes, necessarily, but because when six months when you come in to renew, and every six months you have to come in to renew, they're going to also take your picture in your underwear. And if there is even so much as a crushed Bic pen leaks leaked worth of ink on your skin, you are off welfare. If you've got another tattoo or more piercings, your priorities are so screwed up that you're going to have to go the next six months without
1: welfare. Will never, ever happen. You I know, but it should, test- shouldn't it? I, I no, oh, oh, That's a loaded question. <laughs> should we be means testing some of these handouts? Absolutely right. Will it ever happen? No. In fact, there's uh, the Democrats are now asking for even more handouts, and they're annoyed that some of the COVID area money that we never had that was printed out has been rescinded now because it was unspent some of it, and we haven't even gotten to the bottom bottom of how much of that COVID funding was fraudulently spent. So I feel like you an because
2: to- I'm the only person in America, and you
1: who didn't somehow scam at least a couple hundred grand out of the COVID relief money. I mean, it's insane. what The, the fiscal policies that were surrounding that are insane. Yeah, and well, by the way... Getting the good we humor ch- man
2: to drive down the street throwing wads of hundreds out the window isn't exactly a fiscal policy.
1: <laughs> James Golden, AKS, we're coming back, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I have a question for Avery, too. before because Avery's got to skip out. I have a question for him, and I have a question for you, Derek, and I still want to get to my question about American stability. All right. Didn't forget it. Oh, Nick, you found some George Clinton, right? This is George Clinton. Parliament, George yeah. George Clinton, yeah. Michigan, American did. singer, songwriter, band leader. George Clinton. It says, it says on my script about American Musicians' Birthdays, and he, alongside of James Brown and Sly Stone, is one of the foremost innovators of funk music. I would take issue with that. Hmm. How?
2: Because James, when you put James,
1: James Brown and Sly, you know, yeah, okay, Parliament, Funkadelic, all that. It... No, that's not where it started. I would even argue that you can find the beginning and a lot of musicians will take issue with me on this. If you go back and you listen to Duke Ellington and some of the innovative things he was doing, you can hear the very beginning of what would later become fun. Anyway, that's a in the weeds argument. James Golden AK we're coming back. I got a question about texting. And text and phones for you guys, as well as the question that I raised earlier, are we in danger in America of losing what we have, which is the idea that America is the most stable nation in the West? James Golden Snurley, Saturday morning, eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc coming back right after this. Ah, Curtis Mayfield. You talk about Chicago. He was the sound of Chicago. This is from the Superfly album. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden is Saturday morning. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Derek Hunter is here. Also in the studio, Nick Avery is here. Guys, okay, I want to get to this question about American stability. We've got calls about it. I will get there. But before we do that, i got to ask you a question about something that has two things that have nothing to do with politics, I don't think. First, there was a major story this week, and I had it, and I I was unable to get to it during the course of the, the shows that we did this week, and it printed out long, about the 50th anniversary of the death of bruce lee and how people are still re- okay nick is just reacting it's like yeah w- what nick bruce lee is my man and that big, was kind of the f- big fan yeah
4: why you know my my dad and mom kind of sh- they showed me his movies really early on i'm really into hong kong style cinema and martial arts and and physicality in cinema and you know bruce lee he kind of wrote the bible on on all that so are you into are you into martial arts of sorts, yeah. Of sorts. Are of you sorts are, what are, is are, you, do you mean? do you know Kung Fu? No, um, but I used to fence throughout middle <laughs> and high school. <laughs> when you
2: come across something just sort of draped across, do you karate chop it? <laughs> okay.
1: Well then I mean does it sound like you're a big fan of Bruce Lee?
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the, the movies, the mystique was I mean, that that kinda went away. He 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 kinda went away. Like he died, he didn't go away. Not, not, not like yeah, he died. But like, his made movies. You know, there were all these legends about how he died, and the mystique just wore off.
1: I don't know because there are still thousands of there are thousands of people who still scream to his gravesite every year. Like when I was in high school, my friend Bill accused
2: me of only liking dead celebrities, and it was true. If you looked at the walls of my room, it was. (laughs) John Lennon, Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, blah, blah, blah. There was Bruce Lee. I didn't have a love for Bruce Lee, but there was something mysterious about him. That When people die young, you get to project what could have been onto them in your own head. Plus, they can't really let you down anymore. They can't be discovered to have been flying around with Jeffrey Epstein or anything. They they, no. they can't <laughs> screw up, right? It's It's my belief... In philosophy, I, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but Jimi Hendrix and the rest, like, you never heard anything about the rest of the band in my lifetime. They never, like, reunited or anything that I know of. But when Jimi Hendrix died, everybody said, oh, Jimi Hendrix is the best. James Norrison is the best. Janis Joplin is the best. Because they didn't live long enough to suck, right? They died at 27. No, Jimi Hendrix, couple of oh, my... Didn't they didn't. Jimi Hendrix didn't get live long enough to put out that album where you're just like, oh my god, enough already. <laughs> and so you you just have this this you know three four years of really good stuff, and they didn't have a chance to suck. But that music lives
4: on though, and Bruce Lee's movies didn't.
2: Bruce Lee's movies are bad by today's standards. Absolutely, it's like every every movie from you watch a James Bond movie from the the sixties, you're like, damn. First of all. Char, uh, sean connery is one suave dude he's still cool, secondly yeah. this is a horrible movie you know like uh, Char, uh, he's great connery is awesome he, you you could be half as suave as him and then you go this is the dumbest plot with the most ridiculous guy ga- the guy threw a bowler hat and chopped the head off a statue what you know so yeah things like that don't hold up bruce lee's
4: movie's don't hold up but his name hasn't held up like you got fighters from today going i can beat bruce lee like, yeah, well bruce, bruce lee was the a screen fighter punch
2: and watch like for its time it's good but we don't have a culture anywhere for some reason this is before my time james can speak to this i don't know oh, what the hell you. was in the water in the 70s <laughs> but there was a lot of stuff about big rig trucks a lot of stuff about traveling the yeah. countryside with monkeys. Yeah, Clint Eastwood made a bunch of. There's a bunch of stuff about orangutans were big, and kung fu uh. got huge. Where suddenly it's like if you watch Cobra Kai, now, you got which I absolutely love, but it's Lee ridiculous because in high school there's a fight that breaks out, and suddenly everybody knows karate. But there was kung fu movie after kung. There was this obsession with kung fu in the seventies, that. But. I don't understand.
4: Everybody forgot. Everybody to have forgotten, though, that Bruce Lee was 5'3", 120 pounds. Yeah.
1: And he was in amazing shape, and he was able to do amazing things. And that's why Kung Fu became a thing, because people that saw those movies, as bad as they look today by our production standards, back then, those movies were new. No one had seen that before. And somebody no decided one seen that when the they, kind they move of their fit-
2: hands, it has to make the sound <whistles> Like they're they're breaking. I'm the sound not barrier. talking
1: about that part of it. I'm talking about the actual physicality of it and what he did. And he was in amazing shape and he was able to, even with the noonchucks. You try doing that. Today you hit yourself and knock yourself Everybody out. Everybody let did. me move on. You got a hundred thousand dollars to
2: bet, James, on a fight between in their prime, Bruce Lee and Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Where are you putting that
4: money? Ugh. <sighs> That, come on. That's getting done. That already happened. Come on, boat I know. Yeah.
2: Bruce Lee, keep, keep sky. He'd be sky hooked into the trash.
1: Okay, let me let me move on to something else here. Here's a story, and I had pulled this story to do last week. Uh, that's right, Nick is Nick has had it. Okay, here's a here's something, and I want to ask both of the. Uh, well, Derek, I want to ask you about this in particular because you're a married guy, and so this was. Here's the headline. I found messages on my husband's phone calling me ugly at the beginning of our relationship. The story was originally in the Daily Mail. and A wife was left devastated after finding old messages on her husband's phone when they first met, where he told a friend he thought she was ugly. Her name is Jane Lewis. She's from New Jersey. She's from in this area. She said that she had her husband's permission she asked to check his phone with his permission. He said, okay. And she went all the way back through his text. And what she found blew her mind. He described how he met this ugly chick at the grocery store uh, where she worked at the time and said that she would do blanking literally anything for him. Later on, he tells his friends he moved in with her, but he didn't find her attractive. And then... Uh, <laughs> He says that he could, he thought he could get any girl at the time, but most hot sticks are uh, stuck up anyway. So of course he ends up with this woman that he eventually married. Mm -hmm. And he describes to his friend how he met this ugly chick at the supermarket, but she'll do anything for him and blah, blah, blah. And right now she's devastated. They've been married for a bunch of years now. And I, Derek, he was right, right. I, the guy was right.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> Is there a picture? Is she ugly? That's all my right, next question. <laughs> That's my next question. It could have been gamesmanship. <sighs>
0: Look,
2: I First of all, what are you first doing of all, going
4: through the phone?
2: What are you doing going through the phone? I promise right. you. I promise you, everybody I know, I have said something negative about if you go through everything I've ever typed into a computer or a phone. Why? Because I'm a human being, and somebody has pissed me off at some point, and I just go, this, such, and such, and so, and so, and whatever, and you you date somebody, and then you're on the outs, and then you're back together with them, and you're like, you don't go, I must go and purge every word I've ever written, you just go, that's a part of life. You might as well give her the phone, she's going to go through it one way or the other. Well, was, you got to wonder what the hell's going on with her that she goes. I knew I would love to go through your phone, and then, she, and then how? You really uh, want to uh, go through my? Uh, how it, far she went back tells a story. I don't have a problem with somebody going through my phone. I'd have more of a problem with somebody asking, to you want to go through my phone? Somebody wants to see my phone or there's something I want to show them, I just give them my phone. My wife knows my password to my phone. It's, it's, my kids know my password to my phone. I'm not hiding anything in there, although I'm sure if you dug deep no. enough, there'd be something that would get me into hot water from 15 years ago or something.
4: No, stay away from my phone.
2: Carries with you over <laughs> and over from <laughs> iPhone to iPhone, but my God, there's some... There were problems in this relationship before if she wanted to dig through his phone. Yeah, stay away from my phone, Jake.
4: Yeah. Damn. So
1: you, so Avery, you're not going to ever let anyone check into your
4: phone. No, nah, she's going to have to sneak. And I know her. So that's why I think it might have been gamesmanship. If she's really she could have been really hot and he knew that she was going to go through his phone and so he let her find that to get the upper hand.
2: Nah, he would have had to have texted it like 15, 20 years ago.
1: It was seven years before seven she went years. through it. That's, that's, yeah. that's
2: the long con. That's the idea that Democrats are like, the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, so they put that's together a, the
4: most could, elaborate. That's what I mean. Look how far she went back. On spec. Look how far, far she went back. Would run for president. It could have been Gabe. Well now she year. says
1: she can't get over it. She can't, she's really trying to work hard to get past this because it has really destroyed her confidence, yeah, but and you know, etc. Punching so, yourself
2: in the face and going, "I can't believe I got this bruise!" Like, yeah. well, you you punched yourself
1: in the
4: face. Oh, no, no, but breakfast was still on the table this morning, though, right? Oof. I don't. Think I it don't know. Yes, ended, yes, it was. Anymore. Yes, uh, Nick, it was. You're
1: really quiet on this, Nick. If if you had a girlfriend that says she wanted to go through your phone, would you let her go through your phone? Probably not,
4: because <laughs> I can
1: guarantee there's nothing in there
4: that that you know. No one's ever got, no one's ever found anything they like, you know, going through someone's phone. It's always something negative. You're gonna find what you're looking for no matter what. I think Derek's right. If you go back and you look at everything you said about people on your phone and computer, you're gonna find at least one negative thing, you know? Stay away from my phone.
2: Remember those two weeks that we broke up when uh, we were dating? I went back and looked at your emails, and now I feel closer to you than ever. Is the it... way that you called me all those nasty names to your friends and. Talked about how you slept with that one chick from the... It's It brought us closer together. There's nothing. You live now going forward. It's or, a control uh, thing, man. handcuffed by the past.
4: She just wants control. It's a control thing. But That's all. There's
2: wild insecurity, and there was a lot of suspicion to begin with already, if I had to guess.
1: 800-848-WABC. When we get back, Derek, before you leave us today, I want to get to this question about American stability. This is something that really is weighing on me, and I want to get your take on it. And uh also, if you want to join in, guys, have you ever let your wife look at your phone and go all the way through your text messages? Have you ever, do, would you ever do it? When I read that story, I was like, this guy actually, Um and, th- and then, Derek, you said, everybody has my wife has my password to my phone. Yeah. I'm assuming you have the, the password to her phone. Do you ever go through it? No. Of course not.
2: She's Crimson. got over a million unread messages on her in her email. And I just look at that, and it drives me nuts.
0: <laughs> if I try and keep it to
2: zero, the unread messages I have are messages I still have to deal with. So, like, all right, I'm going to leave this unread. She's got over a million. I hate it when there's one number there, a notification on anything. It's like, okay, let's just get this. I need to whatever it is. I need to know everything. I need to get an, it. Ugh,
1: No. No, it's James right. Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza, coming back right after this.
0: The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza is in your ears. Now here's James Golden, aka Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. i love
5: man.
1: So good to be back Saturday morning here on WABC with you. 800 eight four eight. WABC is the telephone number. Your calls are going to come up later in the program, a little bit later, not too much later. Derek Hunter's here, Avery's here, Nick's here. I'm here. Later on America's. Small caffeinated mom will join us in the final hour when we get to that point. Uh, anyway, I want to, Derek, let me ask you about this because this has been truly weighing on me. What happens to American stability here? We have seen things now, and this is historic. We have had a president that has been a former president arrested not once, twice. And now it's facing, perhaps, a third arrest. If the Georgia thing goes through, a fourth arrest. What happens if the Republicans don't respond to this politically as a party for them? What happens if they do? But regardless, is there a good outcome for this on America's image around the world? America was looked at as a stable nation, the light of the West, Western civilization what is the long term impact of not just this 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 situation with donald trump but you've had the last election cycle where there's so much disagreement about whether american elections are are fair and half the country is going to say heck no they're not fair in fact that if you if you heard before this show started if you Listen to, uh, to Sid. He was on with Carrie Lake and they were talking about this very issue of it, it came up with the elections. Uh, what about American stability? America as the stable country in the West. Derek, is this something that concerns you?
2: It is, and it's going to take an adult in the room. You know, there's going to have to be somebody to come in and, and sort of be above it. There's going to have to be consequences for the people who've abused it. There's, if you broke the law, you broke the law. I don't care who you are or what you've done. But there's going to have to be somebody in there who comes in and can articulate why it matters and and can say this: we're not going. If there's corruption, there's corruption and we're going to go after it. But if there's just I don't. I'm going to hit them back because they were jerks, I'm not going to participate in that and sort of stand up and explain it in a way that our culture can accept, which is going to be probably the biggest challenge because it it doesn't seem to – the culture seems to be so bastardized now and uh, vengeance and just let's – all right, we're going to – it's Sean Connery and the Untouchables. They bring a knife, you bring a gun. And then you you just keep escalating from there. There's going to have to be somebody going, you know what? This particular allegation is garbage. It's politically motivated. There's nothing to it. All right? We've looked into it. There's nothing there. Um, But, you know, maybe the other ones, there's actual criminality to it. But we're not going to go after and pursue things simply because it has to be pretty damn compelling for us to pursue something like that. We need to rein this in. We need to have that moment if you watched those hearings this week if you watched the fact that over in the senate Sheldon White guy Sheldon Whitehouse refused to vote for a, a uh, an amendment that condemned the Minnesota attorney general Keith Ellison for comparing uh, Clarence Thomas to the character Samuel L. Jackson played in Django Unchained basically they, the left finds it new and creative ways. They have very old policies, but they find new and creative ways to call black conservatives Uncle Tom's all the time. And uh, there was a, an amendment to just condemn this. It's pretty basic. Let's condemn this is wrong. And Sheldon White Guy, White House, who belongs to a restricted whites-only beach club in Rhode Island that his wife is the one of the top three shareholders in, he voted against the amendment. But he said, I condemn this, but I don't vote for this amendment because it also calls on the Biden administration to enforce the law when it comes to protesting outside of the houses of Supreme Court members. And that's all it did. It didn't mandate it. It just said this, you shouldn't use racial slurs against the uh, Supreme Court justice. And the administration should enforce the law protecting their houses and their families. And he couldn't bring himself to vote for that. But he had to lie that oh, it's horrible and I condemn that, of course. But I just won't do anything about it. I condemn-. It's like watching somebody drown and you're sitting soaking your feet in the pool. And it's only a, a three-foot deep pool and you're five feet tall and you're watching a kid drown. And you go, yeah, that's a shame. Somebody should do something about that. Well, we need to get rid of the Sheldon White Houses of the world the Jamie Raskins of the world, and get to a point where we elect people who are, you know, we disagree with them, but they're at least, at the end of the day, decent human beings. They can be agree. wrong, but they've got Derek. to be decent, and we don't have that in politics right now.
1: I, I so agree with that. I said during this course of the week, I am so tired of the political theater. I've watched hearings. When I was a kid, I watched the Watergate hearings. I w- I've been watching hearings most of my life now congressional hearings uh hearings on these events and what I miss are people from the opposition party whether they're democrat or republican who are actually what we used to call statesmen of course I guess you would have to call them states people now <laughs> but people who said who would say and condemn wrong for being wrong regardless of whatever party it was but at the same time Weren't out to just play political theater with you forget, everything.
2: Forget, and you'd have you don't now. Now, states people is probably a gender, so you probably can't use that anymore. But people forget that Barry Goldwater went up to the White House and told Nixon, Barry Goldwater, Mister Conservative, that if there comes a, a trial in the Senate, you're going to be convicted if it happens right. today. You're going to, and it, 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 now. Dick Durbin would be like, I don't know. I don't care. Here's a video of Joe Biden murdering some of Hunter's prostitutes. Well, you know, we don't really know what happened before or after this video, so we can't really make any judgments. We live in such a different world where there is nobody who can look just at the fact that there's no ambiguity that Hunter Biden didn't pay taxes, a lot of taxes for a number of years and got away with it, that nobody will look at that on the left and go, this is wrong. And. You know, there's nothing criminally can be done, but Joe Biden should tell his son that maybe he should pay these taxes anyway.
1: Nobody will do that. Derek, Nobody
2: will even acknowledge it's a problem.
1: Got to run. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Thank you, James. They can find you at Town Hall. Derek Hunter. James yes. Golan Snurley, with you here at WABC. Going to stop down for news, stop up for news, come back. Saturday morning, radio extravaganza continues. Do not go away.
0: James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio.
1: Welcome to our number duo, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. If you want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-WABC, thanks to Derek, who, uh, you know, has raised some really interesting points, including the fact that he wasn't a big fan of... Uh, Bruce Lee. <laughs> Noam, are you still there, Noam Layton? I am. How are you? No, I'm fine, Noam. Thank you. You did this story, and I just want to just ask you just to just repeat some of that information for us about these con-ed rates. There's an editorial, and I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on that because it deals with the politics of it, but there's an editorial today that I'll, I'll get to about the Con Ed hikes that are coming up. What can people expect now? This was, this happened Thursday, did it not? The uh, Public Service Commission um, okay the hikes. Yeah, they gave the people. green light. And um, so now,
3: come August, right, so just a couple weeks from now, you'll pay 9% more, which like an average electric bill here in Manhattan will be about 15 bucks a month more, you know, depending on, sort of course, how big your place is, how small it is. But... Um, it's a huge rate. It's retroactive. I mean, this was the argument that Con Ed had been making was that didn't really raise rates during the pandemic, and now they're making up for lost time. But, of course, that means, you know, people who are already saddled with high prices because of inflation will now have to pay a higher Con Ed bill.
1: All right, the story that I have, which was in the New York Post, the an editorial that they raised about it, they say that um, typical bills – On Thursday, they say the state's public service commission okayed hikes of 9.1%, which you just said, for electricity, 8.4% for gas starting in August, along with additional jumps through 2025. And now they're saying at 2025, by the time we get to the far end of this, which is just two years out, your electric bill, your typical electric bill, will have doubled. If you're paying about 70 bucks a month now, by the time we get to that 2025 mark, you're going to be paying about $140 or another $840 a year.
3: Yeah, I don't know if that double is correct. I'm just looking at the numbers as I'm talking to you. So there's going to be another four four uh, 4.2% rate hike come January. Then there's another one come the middle of year 2024. I mean, I have to do sort of the quick math in my head to figure out if that's double, but it's at least... Um, let's see, 20, 30. I mean, it's a lot more. <laughs> My math it's is not good mo- to figure here. Yeah, it's a lot more money you're going to pay, uh, and, uh, and you're just getting hit and you can't do anything about it. And by the way, uh, I don't know which editorial reading, but, um, you know, look, the Democrats are in control in New York. And so, right. for sure, and they're in control of that committee that makes the decision about whether Con Ed can raise those rates. So, the Democrats, you could say, are to blame for the fact that all of a sudden we're getting hit with these rate hikes. And, and astronomical numbers, I mean, usually you get one, two, three percent percent but 9% in one month, uh, you know, that's astronomical.
1: Yeah, so here's what I'm wondering, and I don't, I'm not expecting you to have the answer for this because it's a question that I'm just raising. I'm wondering if at some point down the road uh, there is going to be anything done to protect senior citizens who are on fixed incomes. As you know, all we need is a harsh winter. And every projection about what you're paying for energy goes out the roof. If you have a, a, a moderate winter, then okay, there's some stability there. But if you have a really harsh winter, really uh, cold temperatures, or really uh, a few snowstorms back-to-backs with a blizzard, uh, one of them a blizzard or two of them a blizzard where people are trapped in their houses, all of a sudden, anything that you thought you were paying for, you had budgeted for, you can throw that budget out of the window. So I just wonder how this is going to affect senior citizens who are living on fixed incomes and their incomes are not necessarily able to keep up with the kind of increases that uh that this board, the Public Service Commission has okayed.
3: Yeah. So what? City Hall would tell you to answer that question is they do have some built-in programs that help senior citizens pay their electric bills, especially this time of year when you need the air conditioning blasting for most of the summer, and especially you know come the winter when you need the heating bill. And Con Ed would tell you that they also have some special built-in programs for low-income New Yorkers where that bill is shaved a bit. But either way, even if both of those help you out, you're still going to pay more. And like you said, if you're on a fixed income, even a couple bucks here and there makes a huge difference
1: yeah norm thank you so much so appreciate your reporting my friend james golden a and top of the hour be here and don't miss that newscast uh, uh democrats is this is the editorial that norm asked that he asked me he didn't know it's when i was reading i'll share this it. from the the new york post editorial board and this is what it says democrats whine about con ed rate hike caused by their own dumb policies So that's the editorial from the New York Post that you can find and it's pointing out that the driver, the driver for most of these rate hikes is the, and this is a quote, the idiotic green policies, both at the state and federal level, clamping down on fossil fuel use, forcing infrastructure improvements to handle the shift, taxing utilities to the hilt, all of those fuel costs that are, that come from these green policies, the New York Post editorial board says, are caused by Democrats. They're dumb policies. They note that this week, Team Biden struck yet another blow in its war against domestic energy production. They jacked up costs for drillers on federal land. Royalty rates to drill our own natural resources go up from 12.5% to almost 17%. Minimum per acre leases. And this is, again, on leasing, uh, leases that are put out to energy companies to extract energy. The leases are going to quintuple. The administration estimates this is going to cost energy producers about $1.8 billion over the next eight years, and there's more to come. And then they mention uh, Governor Cuomo's painful ban on fracking, so of course, and what that did to the price of oil. So again, you can find that editorial in the New York Post, Democrats whine about con-ed hikes caused by their own dumb policies. Your calls are coming up on today's Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza, I want to talk about briefly an issue that is dominating some of the national news coverage. Critics have now unleashed on Vice President Kamala Harris what they're calling her evil and astonishing lie about Florida school curriculum on slavery. This was written by Joe Concha. Used to be with The Hill, now he's with Fox, a Fox News contributor. Kamala Harris faced a wave of criticism yesterday following her speech in Jacksonville, Florida, yesterday, blasting what she said was the state's new history curriculum, teaching students that slaves in the United States benefited from slavery. And supposedly, I saw this two days ago in uh, one of the left publications, and I made a note to self, I don't believe this. I'm going to have to look into this because this just sounds a bridge too far. It's a little Chris Christie language. Um, the curriculum actually states this: instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, leading to countless critics accusing Harris of brazenly lying and misleading the American people. Now, there is a story, and I printed this out that was in National Review today. 25 pages of print where Charles C.W. Cote goes through the Florida curriculum. And the headline of that, Kamala Harris is brazenly lying about Florida's slavery curriculum. NBC reports that Kamala Harris intends to visit Florida. This was written before she came to Jacksonville to criticize the new School curriculum, she blasted efforts to put it, slave curriculum in, in uh, what she calls revisionist history. Well, he says in this, Mr. Koch does, I've been working, trying to work out how to illustrate the sheer scale of her falsehood, Harris's falsehood. I've come to the conclusion that the only way to achieve it is to list in one place all the relevant parts about the course, about what she is complaining So he copied and pasted every single reference to slavery, slaves, abolitionism, civil rights, and African Americans that is in the Florida School curriculum document. And the list is extremely long, and that's why it took 25 pages. And I cannot read you through 25 pages of it. But the curriculum starts out, and I'll give you an example of just some of them. There were 191 examples of what will be taught. The word slave appears 96 times. Thank you, Nursey nurse. Curriculum. Curriculum. I can never get that right. Happy birthday, Nursey nurse. Nursy nurse just corrected me via text. The word is curriculum. I pronounce that word ebonically, and how dare you correct me? It's racist to correct me. I'm just kidding, of course. Here is the list. 191 item strong is right, Mr. Coke. It contains the word slave 96 times. Slaves. 23 times. Slavery, 45 times. I pulled out each line in the order which they appear, largely chronological. It starts with the earliest slaves and ends with the integration of the University of Florida. And then he goes through example after example. Instruction includes what life was like for the earliest slaves and the emancipated in North America. The curriculum examines the Underground Railroad, how former slaves partnered with other free people and groups in assisting those escaping slavery. It examines key features and events in abolitionist movements. Instructions will include Emancipation Proclamation 13, 14, 15 amendments to the Constitution. It examines in the roles and contributions of significant African Americans during the westward expansion of, and a list example, including the Buffalo Soldiers. Examine the experience and contributions of African Americans in early Florida. Instructions include African American communities like Fort Mose, Angola community, the Black Seminoles, Fort Gadsden, and it goes on and on. Twenty-five pages of this to refute the lie that Kamala Harris is out here saying that this is all trying to teach students that black people, enslaved people, benefited from slavery. This is, of course, a racial distortion that is being used to stoke up more racism in the United States. And by the way, Kamala Harris, I wonder if it will also teach in the cur- cur- in the curriculum that the vice president of the United States, the sitting vice president, has roots because on her father's side, they were slave owners. If we're going to be honest about slavery, let's not leave that one out either. Another editorial from the New York Post. Indicting a cop and paying BLM protesters $13 million proves it. New York City has its priorities upside down. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg now prosecuting a cop who tried to stop a serial shoplifter while Mayor Eric Adams' team has agreed to play BLM protesters, $13 million for fighting police. $13 to BLM protesters. You want to know, this is a good business, apparently. Become a BLM protester and get wealthy. In the latest turn in a series of madcap moves where officials rush to defend and even reward lawbreakers while punishing victims, and those who seek to protect the public. Can any New Yorker feel safe in a world like that? And the New York Post editorial goes on to say that last year Alvin Bragg sought to bring murder charges against a bodega worker, even though surveillance showed he was attacked first, defending himself. They go through... The case of Daniel Penny, who has been arraigned on manslaughter charges in the death of Jordan Neely. Talk about the strap hanger Jordan Williams, who was charged with stabbing an unhinged ex-convict who was harassing his girlfriend and punched his girlfriend on a train. Just this month, Alvin Bragg charged Scotty Inno, a CVS worker with stabbing a serial shoplifter to death during a fight. Now he's charging a police officer with a crime for merely doing his job. This is what you elected, my friends, to represent you as your district attorney in New York. There is an op-ed in the Washington Post today that will take a little time for me to go through. It is written by Colbert King. And he's talking about pretty much... Well, let me give you the headline of the op-ed. The solution to youth crime, it has always been strong families. Now, before you think that this is, oh, well, that makes sense. This guy sounds like a good old conservative guy. These sound like my values. Yes, strong families. This guy takes issue with others who he says, are trying to get their licks on what they perceive as Washington DC city's failings. He was in, apparently in support of the DC emergency crime legislation, which is just another, another progressive move. I mean, I don't know whether you've been following this or not. I'm assuming you have because this is a wildly intelligent audience of what happened in Illinois where Illinois has now become the first state to say, let's get rid of cash bail. In other words, let's get the criminals in and out of here, and if you're a criminal, you can get released. Don't, no, 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 you don't need cash bail. We'll just let you out. And everyone, people around the head are shaking their heads. How do you expect this to end well? But this is what's coming from Governor Pritzker. He is so left wing. And I may, if we have time, go through some of this editorial by Colbert King. Because it ends up he takes issue with the guy that that says that kids, especially younger males, aren't raised properly. And the fact that they're not raised properly leads to a life of poverty and crime. They're raised by high school dropout teen moms. They have 30-year-old grandmas, fatherless homes, illiterate role models, celebrating a culture of rappers and drug dealers who watch their moms and grandmas twerking instead of being responsible adults. They have a don't-snitch-silence code, but glorify violent lyrics and music that define women as meat that should be used and thrown away. This is the ghetto culture. Government cannot change a broken culture. And he, Mr. Colbert, found that highly offensive, I guess. Could you please say that again? No, Siri. Anyway, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, WABC Talk Radio 77, coming back. Your call's part of it, 800-848-WABC. Don't go away.
0: Radio Extravaganza.
6: James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, Now.
0: here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snertley, on 77 WABC.
1: When you hear that music, you know what time it is. We are at the halfway point on our Saturday morning Radio Extravaganza, which means, if you've been sitting, like I have, Also, like Nick has, we're up out of our seats and we're grooving. Getting a little movement going. It's time for the Saturday morning dance right here on WABC. And this is our favorite Saturday morning dance. It's called Morning Dance. So it's our theme for the Saturday morning dance. If you're home, just get up out of your chair, move the body, and get moving. And you don't have to wait for us. You can do it all day long and through the rest of the show at various points. <sighs> that was a good. That's like the seventh inning stretch at a ball game. So we have that. I feel so good to get up and move. You know, that was one of the things, uh being out on the uh, on cruising and being out in different. I was actually not sitting behind a desk all day. And that's, you know, all day and all night. And that was very encouraging. I want to go back to this, uh, from Colbert King in the Washington post today. And let me just give you this and and let me start from the beginning on this. He says, my column was about youths involving involved the DC criminal. Justice system invariably receive blowback from certain readers eager to get their licks in on what they perceive as our city's failings. And then he cites last week's column on DC emergency crime legislation was no exception. I'm not going to read his last week's column. And then he, he, he goes to a commentator. And he said, wrote commentator D.C. City Guy, kids, especially young males, aren't raised properly. This leads to a life of poverty and crime. They are raised by high school dropout teen moms, have 30-year grandmas, fatherless homes, illiterate role models, celebrating a culture of rappers and drug dealers who they watch their moms and grandmas twerking for instead of being a responsible adult. Don't snitch silence code, but glorify violent lyrics and music that define women as meat that should be used and thrown away. This is the ghetto culture. Government can't change a broken culture. Hold criminals accountable to the fullest extent of the law as they do in Virginia. Stop babying. Stop babies from having babies they don't know the first thing about raising properly. And then he goes on to complain that this is one in which a coterie of readers, year in and year out, indulge themselves with sanctimonious put-downs of whole swaths of this capital city. These are readers who love stereotyping single heads of households as irresponsible, butt-shaking illiterates. Readers who gratuitously link teenage boys in fatherless homes with drug dealing and violence. Readers who believe that not always being correct in conduct leads to a life of poverty and crime. Even as, like Pontius Pilate, they wash their hands and they're conscious of the whole mess. So he's critical of this guy, but then he concludes the editorial by saying that it is family, it is family that matters. He says, I know these things as a parent, grandparent, brother, uncle, cousin, and from personal experience. I learned things growing up in a West End, foggy-bottom, D.C. neighborhood under less than desirable economic conditions. Regardless of the amount of income or food set on the table, family, mothers, fathers, extended family members were the most crucial people to our well-being. Home was where we were accepted and found affection, Home was where we grew up, believing we belonged to each other. Family gave us our first teachers, too. Oh, they didn't talk and act like the white teachers we saw in the movies and TV shows. They didn't drive fancy cars or wear fine clothes. But they knew how little racially segregated D.C. thought of black people. And they worked overtime teaching us to be positive about ourselves and oriented toward a future beyond foggy bottom. Families such as the one that nourished me exist in this city everywhere today, but not for every child. And he says we must do and what the D.C. guy doesn't do. We must take a closer look at their lives and those of their parents without judging, blaming, or labeling. We must come to grips with the underlying underlying causes of their behavior and deal with them. That is what we as a city must do. Well, this is one of those where I just don't, I I don't see the real disagreement here. What this guy, D.C., described, again, kids not raised properly, leading to a life of poverty and crime. How can anybody really argue with that? How can anybody really argue with the idea that if we had more families invested in raising their children with values and with morals and a moral compass, and if the parents themselves had a moral compass, that we would not have a better outcome? Now, I know he's upset by the language this guy used. His critic about families being raised by high school dropout teenage moms having 30 year old grandmas, fatherless homes, illiterate role models. But the hard question is any of that untrue. Celebrating a culture of rappers and drug dealers. Have you not heard me talk about that here? How we have to get to the bottom of that? And what about this idea that government can't change a broken culture? What is afflicting America, the cultural rot that has taken place in this country, has to be, has to be, has to be dealt with in the home. Where, or the church and the home, or when I say the church, I'm including all religious spiritual institutions, not just a church. If you don't get that moral compass from somewhere, if you don't get instruction as a child that points you in the right direction as you grow into adulthood, where else are you going to get it from? James Golden, Snerdly, a.k.a. Snerdly, here with you Saturday morning. Radio extravaganza. You want to weigh in on that, 800-848-WABC. 800-848-WABC, the number to call. Doobie Brothers, put some funk in your doobies, or put some doobies in your funk. On WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back, don't go away. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza.
0: There's perspective. You just got to keep an open mind. And then there's New York perspective. Are you as offended as I am? Don't make deals with just anybody. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We have to get ready because Cindy Adams is here. Cindy Adams is on the town. On this radio station, WABC. Listen to the incredibly charming, unbelievably brilliant.
7: Plus, the hills are alive with the sound of visitors chatting to Siri.
0: Only in New York, kids. Only in New York. Cindy Adams is on the Cindy Adams Show. Tomorrow afternoon at 1 on 77 WABC. Oh,
6: Clinical Social Worker is wanted in New York, New York to assess clients and develop treatment plans. Provide individual and group counseling, case management, advocacy, and crisis intervention if needed. Coordinate with other care team professionals and caregivers. Requirements are a master's degree in social work and 12 months of experience licensed master social worker, knowledge of human behavior and DSM-5, and skilled in in in-person centered cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, and psychodynamic approaches, and specialized in working with BIPOC LGBTQ, UIA communities. The salary sixty two thousand five hundred twenty five dollars per year. Mail resume to Gray Matters Medical Practice PC, nineteen West Twenty first Street, Suite one zero zero three, New York, New York one zero zero one zero. The salary sixty two thousand five hundred twenty five dollars per year. Mail resume to Gray Matters Medical Practice PC, nineteen West Twenty first Street, Suite one zero zero three, New York, New York one zero zero one zero. Imagine getting your favorite Diagostino Supermarkets products without
5: ever leaving your home. Order online via Instacart, Uber, or DoorDash, and enjoy
7: home delivery across New York City. So please, Mr. Diagostino,
0: move closer to me. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snertley, on 77 WABC.
1: WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. So glad you're here this Saturday morning. George Benson brings us back. This is one of my favorite George Benson songs. It is a Heat Waves song originally recorded by Heat Wave, written by Rod Temperton. It's called Star of the Story. There are so many little things I like about this song, including that backgrounds by the magnificent Patty Austin.
0: Angel, come to me. Let me...
1: George Benson on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. It is time to head to the telephones. Thank you all for being so very patient and waiting. Let us begin in Long Island with Adam. Adam, welcome. You're on WABC. How are you?
5: Good morning, sir. I just want to say we do got a few things in common, like George Clinton. I love George Clinton. I grew up with him and Bootsy e. Collins. I love uh, Bruce Lee, uh, Into the Dragon, and Chinese Connection. I would take Chinese Connection over Into the Dragon because he was the outlaw in Chinese Connection.
1: How about um, Fist of Fury? How about Fist of Fury?
5: I didn't like that that much, sir. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I was, you know, the first guest you had on, because I've been on since seven, um, everybody's still focusing on, uh, Biden and, and Hunter Biden. He's already been prosecuted. He'd be he pled guilty. And I was trying to figure out why wouldn't Trump want a, a speedy trial issue, sir? I'm okay, let me just l- let me let me childish. just
1: Let me just correct you about something. Hunter Biden has not been prosecuted. He has a deal arrangement in place, a sweetheart deal arrangement that you or I couldn't get. And that sweetheart deal arrangement actually violates the standards that the Department of Justice has for making deals. So he has a sweetheart deal in place that violates the DOJ's own standards. But we do not know whether the judge is going, the judge when it comes up, whether the judge is going to accept it or not. I, for one, am holding out thin hope. I don't, you know, think that I'll be successful in wishing or hoping that the judge just looks at this and says, no, I'm not taking this deal. This is a sweetheart deal. And, no, this deal violates the DOJ's own standards, so I'm not taking it. He has not been prosecuted yet. He should be prosecuted. But you have people that have served time in jail, like Wesley Snipes, like Lauren Hill, Fuji. She well she was put under home arrest. Like Martha Stewart. If you go back in the day, the hotel queen, Leona Helmsley You've had people that have been thrown in jail for far less than what Hunter Biden has done. And this is an outrage, that you can have Hunter Biden doing the things that he did, that he's accused of doing, bringing millions of dollars into this country from foreign sources that was shared with his dad, according to sources, those sources who paid him are saying the money was for you and your dad, and yet we have nothing done about that. So, Adam, let me just say to you this: if we do get justice in this case, I think I'll be happy. But so far, we don't have any justice in this case. Let me let you respond to that.
5: I would like you to respond to the speedy trial issue for Mr.
1: Trump. Oh, I will. Uh, I was going to get to that. That's I was going to that.
5: Me- Hunter's done. He pled okay. guilty, so he has to wait for sentence Okay. Trump is uh, trying to put stuff off forever. Why? Show the people your innocence, sir. Let's get to trial.
1: You know, if you are the target of a weaponized justice system, you should have every right to present the defense that you want to present and to assemble the legal team that you want to have to research the arguments that you want to present in a way that is conducive to your being acquitted. You have the right to defend yourself against the government. Now, you say speedy trial. What these charges have, in fact, there's a Washington Post story today that you can look at that has outlined how these cases have been put to in the calendar and how those cases interfere with the presidential primary calendar. So right in the middle of him running for president, he has to stop down while he's running for president in the primaries to defend himself Against 70-some-odd charges, which in the case of the original Jack Smith indictment, with 37 of those charges, is totally bogus. It should have never been brought under the Presidential Records Act. He had the right to take with him, when he left the White House, any and all documents that he deemed necessary. And other presidents have done exactly the same thing with no consequence. So he has the right to say, as he's saying, this is election interference. And if you go and look at, I will find in, when we get to the break, I'll find the uh, the source of that. I know, it's, I think it's in the Washington Post. It's either that or the New York Times today. They have done the calendar, and it's an interactive feature that you can go through and scroll through it, and it will show you where these court cases line up with the primary s- schedule. What? president trump is saying is that this is interfering in the election it is designed these charges to derail his presidential bid and if that's the case why not grant him a delay why not saying okay we don't want election interference remember the justice department itself says that they should not do things that interfere with elections That's the reason why this Durham investigation, by the way, was not brought to a speedy conclusion because they didn't want to bring this out during the election season. So they didn't do it. Those are the Department of Justice's own guidelines. So what President Trump is asking here is for them to be consistent. Just be consistent. If you say you don't want to interfere in elections, then don't do it. Don't put these cases smack dab in the middle of the primary season. They can wait. And if you're comfortable with the FBI and DOJ waiting for years and years and in, before they, and they never did really thoroughly investigate the charges of corruption against the Bidens, then I don't understand why you wouldn't be just as patient and wait until the primary season is over for this attack on Donald Trump. Adam, you should be consistent, too. Let's be fair. Do you have a problem with being fair, Adam?
5: No, sir. I don't have a problem.
1: Um, okay. You know, I'm, just I'm glad we agree. So would you now withdraw your request for a speedy trial? Adam, I can't hear you. Sir. no. Okay, are you going uh, – so so none of that. You still think that they ought to just go ahead and nail Trump now and never mind that it's interfering I, with the election.
5: I didn't say nail him, sir. I just said, he. you know, everybody's talking like he's so innocent. I, I want to see him get a speedy trial so the rest of the world can see what it is. Why do we have to wait so long?
1: I just explained to you why, because it's election interference. And if the shoe were on the other foot, I wonder, if it were Joe Biden right now, I wonder would you have the same point of view? But at least in principle, we agree that, do you think that cases should be brought where they can interfere with the election? Do you think that that's fair? No, sir. Okay, well, then we agree. And you disagree with yourself. Because that's exactly what's happening here. Adam, I love you. Thank you for the call. Appreciate you, my friend. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurly, WABC Talk Radio 77, coming back right after this. Boss Gags. The Lowdown on WABC.
0: nerdly on 77 wabc the crown jewel of american radio
1: our number trio our number three here on our saturday morning radio extravaganza you want to be part of the program 800-848-wabc the number to call 800-848-wabc you are going to spend as much time with phones as we can this hour people have been waiting patiently to weigh in and we want to have you weigh in on whatever's on your mind this morning a few headlines for you before we get back to the phones. Chris Christie is calling Donald Trump a con artist and claims that he's grifting people. Republican presidential candidate, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie took another swipe at former president Trump claiming he's a con artist. He said, "You really need to have people who are donating 10, 20, 50 bucks to your campaign." Pay for your high-priced lawyers and indictments. You put all your you put all on yourself by paying off a porn star, and holding back classified documents, in spite of the fact that they've been asked voluntarily for 18 months. I mean, this is ridiculous. And he's using these people in a way that I don't think they completely know about. In other words, you Trump donors are stupid. You don't know why you're giving Trump the money. Chris Christie knows, but you don't know. You're stupid. He's a con artist, and you're too stupid to realize he's a con artist. People are giving to him because they think they're going to help him get re-elected president when all he's doing is grifting off these people. He's a con artist who's conning them out of their money, pretending he wants to be their president. Well, what he wants is a free ride for the legal defense he's getting on for the criminal charges he personally faces. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So I wonder what you Trump supporters think about that. You're, you're stupid. You're, I I should not say you Trump supporters. Let me amend that. You Trump donors, small dollar donors, as it's called, even though giving somebody 50 bucks is not a small thing, 10, 20, 50. You're being grifted according to former New Jersey governor Chris Christie. And you don't even know what you're doing. He's just using you to pay off your legal defenses. The Democrats are up against it. They have their undies in a Cornell West candidacy on the Green Party line. There's another one. CNN did a long story about how the fact that some of his Cornell West longtime political allies and friends are confused as to why he's running and how he's also alarmed top Democrats and black leaders as a potential ticking time bomb for Joe Biden isn't this amazing it's amazing by the way next time Rocco calls in tell him Derek just texted me he says I'll take the mantle thank you um Cornel West, political philosopher, proud agitator, tapping into his semi-celebrity to attack Biden from the left, where the president has never been fully embraced. So now Cornell West is the problem. I have uh, uh, recounted over the last few shows how no labels, Now, Senator, former Senator Joe Lieberman is involved with this No Labels group. And there are a few others, political names that insiders know. No Labels has been around for years. Rush used to talk about No Labels when it first got started. They have been around for years. Yet, all of a sudden this year, they're being described in the mainstream press as some shadowy group. They're not shadowy. They've been talking about no labels for well over, uh, at least it has to be almost a decade now. But they're coming under attack. Cornel West under attack. What are these guys so afraid of? They are afraid because what they see is that one, two, three-point margin might mean A lot in the election and they will do anything, anything to try to ensure that Joe Biden is successful, including attacking their own. You see, the grandson of JFK came out with a really harsh rebuke of his uncle. And I just keep thinking, I wonder what Joe Kennedy, the old patriarch of the Kennedy clan would think about this. He must be spinning. This was the guy that was, it's Kennedy through and through. I mean, he, you talk about a political operator and you also talk about a guy with an interesting past. Look into the history of Joe Kennedy, how the Kennedys made their money and still make money, by the way. And then look at Kennedy's operation. Look at Joe Kennedy and how Jack Kennedy was elected in the 1960 campaign. But to see Kennedys turning on each other in public, I mean, throughout the years, no matter what the Kennedy scandals were, and there were many, especially when it came to Uncle Teddy, we just went past the anniversary of Chappaquiddick, I think it was last week. Kennedy's never turned on each other. Now you've got Kennedys turning on each other in public. I never thought I would see this politically. By the way, there was a piece I think I, I it was oh I don't even remember the name, CT something. There was a, a a story today from Robert Kennedy who was asked about his voice, and he explained if you have heard Robert Kennedy, it is he, he apologized to his interviewer for his voice, and he explained that what is happening with his voice, it's a neurological issue that he's trying to work through. And it is is—it's really amazing that Robert Kennedy is standing as tall as he is because he is being slammed. The congressional testimony he gave, the Democrats, the Stacey Plastic woman from... Uh, Virgin Islands, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and others really took after him. Jerry Connolly. Robert Kennedy is being slammed from one end of the Democrat Party through another. And of course, you don't see anything about debates. whether Joe Biden would be willing to stand on the same stage as Robert Kennedy Jr. or even Cornel West. But everybody that poses a potential threat to Joe Biden is being smeared up and down the mainstream press, whether it's Cornel West, whether it's Robert Kennedy Jr., who's even being smeared by members of his own family, or from the Democrat Party establishment. The Kennedy name at one point was the gold standard for Democrats. And now you've got Kennedys turning on each other in public. A California school superintendent was thrown out of a meeting, and I talked about this briefly yesterday, where parents actually took charge of the school board, and this guy is a state superintendent. They threw him out of the Chino Valley Unified School Board meeting after he attacked, he attacked, the school system superintendent attacked the idea that parents should be, parents should be advised when their kids want to use bathrooms that don't go with their biological gender, or when they are letting school people know they want to transition into transgender, which the parents would be responsible, their minors would be responsible for not only their medical condition, but their medical bills. But, oh, no, we can't tell the parents. And this is the state superintendent of schools defending the idea that parents should not be advised of what's going on with their children in schools. In other words, the kids belong to the state, not to the parents. I must tell you that idea comes straight out of the communist handbook. The idea that parents do not have the right to determine and help determine the future of their own children, but rather it is the state that has those rights. And the fact that, look, Democrats, I had a friend of mine that told me recently that evil is no longer hiding. It used to be that evil hid in the shadows. Evil did not show itself openly. But now we are looking and living in a time where evil is showing itself in many forms openly and brazenly for all to see. And the idea that we are in America and we are seeing a state-appointed official, the California State Superintendent of Schools, demanding that parents take down a school board take down a resolution that parents should be advised when their children are about to embrace on a course of action that could change the rest of their lives. These are minor children. And you have a state official saying, no, parents don't need to know. It is our uh, obligation to protect the privacy of the children, the privacy of the children against their own parents. Strange times indeed, my friends. There is a woman in Georgia, Georgia, Misha Mayner, who has switched. She's a state legislature, a state legislator. Who has switched from a, being a lifelong Democrat to a Republican. She's a black woman. She becomes the only, the only black Republican woman, the first, you know how liberals usually talk about something's historic. Well, they're not celebrating this history because she becomes the first black Republican woman to ever serve in the Georgia General Assembly. She says that legislative Democrats drove her out of the Democrat Party for breaking with their orthodoxy. That they've tried to sabotage her and everything that she's done for her constituents. She says she thought it was okay not to agree with certain things as a Democrat, but they told her, you know, those are values we just don't have. What values? She was for school choice. She wanted parents to have the ability to send their own children to the schools that they thought were best for their children. And this is something that you don't do if you're a state Democrat. She's in an ultra democratic swath of Atlanta. This woman is brave. She may have just kissed her political career goodbye, but I hope we won't see the last of her. In fact, Lisa says she was going to try to get her on the show, so maybe we will have her in coming weeks. She says she's encouraging more black Americans and black Democrats in particular to take a look at what she's doing. You might have this coat on, but I suggest you look at the lining. See what's on the inside. (laughs) Yeah, take a close look at what Democrats are really doing to you. Anyway, yes, I'm still coughing. I got sick on the flight back from Italy, from Venice. Anyway, your call's coming up later on America's Small Caffeinated Mom, James Golden, aka Snurly, 800-848-WABC. It is Saturday morning. Thank you for being part of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC.
0: Saturday morning, radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, on 77 WABC.
1: I don't know anybody can listen to this and not hear Look what Larry's doing, right? Yeah, now this is the inner, This is one of the innovators of modern-day funk, yeah. Flying the Family Stone. And you know what else is going on in here that this was new at the time? They're using a rhythm box underneath, as well as live drums. Yeah, if you listen closely, you can hear the rhythm box. Was it a CR-78? I don't know which one they were using back then, but this is one of the first. So I'm like, what is that? When it was new, it's like, yeah, well, that was a rhythm box. And then later on, Larry Graham, when he did Graham Central Station had, um, had his graphic, I forgot the woman's name that played with him. Chocolate and chocolate just, that's all she did on stage. She had a rhythm box that she would play on stage. Sly the Family Stone bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77, Saturday morning. Let's go to Sandra, who's been waiting patiently in New Jersey. Sandra, how are you?
7: It's a pleasure to wait because I'm listening to you as I wait, so how could you beat that? (laughs) Um, I wanted to say that this morning on the ticker file on Newsmax, it said basically that the White House will be preparing for another pandemic. And recently I had a conversation with my brother, And we were saying, I bet they'll plan another pandemic of some sort right before the election. And there I see this morning the White House is planning for another pandemic. You know, the World Health Organization, they have the power, I think, to declare a disaster of any sort. And then we become... Held hostage in now, America. there
1: has been a lot of reporting on what is inside this WHO treaty. And I wish I could tell you, I don't have it in front of me, so I'll have to do some researching on it. And I don't want to say anything on that that is inaccurate because when you start talking WHO and UN and all the rest of this stuff, you've entered into kookland sometimes. I'm not saying that everything that people are saying is kooky. But I'm saying that some of it, some of it, and I've been hearing this stuff for years, some of it is kooky. So I'm going to have to look and see what is actually inside. And I know this is real, that the WHO was trying to make a move to, uh, to obtain more power as an organization over what happens when there are these worldwide pandemics. And so I don't want you to think I'm giving short shrift to what you're saying, Sandra, because I'm not. I'm just saying I need to be on firm footing before I talk about it. And at the moment, I don't have it in front of me, and I need to review it. Now, as to what you were saying about preparing for another, we need to be prepared for another pandemic. Remember that, that Dr. Fauci has been saying this all along. By the way, Senator Rand Paul's office, one of his offices burned up the other day. There are a lot of people looking at that saying, hmm, they all this." hmm, Rand Paul's office burned, hmm. Uh, and the other day, it was also widely reported that the Biden administration finally, and I reported it too, the story that the Biden administration had stopped funding for the Wuhan Virological Institute, but there was a wait-stop because we have been told as the American people that, whoa, no, we're not funding that. How do you stop funding on something that we're supposedly not funding? And Rand Paul had been at the center of that argument, that very public argument with Dr. Fauci. So I think there are a lot of people, Sandra, like you, and I'm so glad that you waited and thank you for bringing this up, who are worried and wondering. There are a group of people, and I've mentioned this before too, who for now for almost two years have been calling this the pandemic. And I never, you know, I, I but I'm going to tell you something. There are so many unanswered questions. And I have raised many of them. I won't raise them all again today. It would, it's a litany of questions surrounding COVID and surrounding this past pandemic. Everything from the origin, the true origin, not what we were told about some wet market 50 miles away from Wuhan, all the way through these various treatments. And, of course, there are a large body of people who believe that COVID was a man-made. When I say man-made, I should say an altered virus. And there are people, many of them, highly credible scientists who are arguing this. I am not a scientist, I do not make claims, but I am telling you, there are a lot of questions that remain to be answered about the last pandemic, and also, by the way, SARS. So thank you, Sandra, thank you so much. Let's go to Rockaway and Russell. Russell, you're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurly. It's Saturday morning. It's our Saturday morning extravaganza. How are you?
5: Uh, good morning, James. Um, just getting back to the musical theme, the uh, Funkadelic, a lot of the Delic was put in by Jimi Hendrix when he released Wipe the Sweat, parts one, two, and three
1: wow now you know no i'm not familiar with that i'm gonna to have to go back through all my hendrix catalog no i'm not i, I don't mind telling you so that's why i said wow i'm gonna to have to go take a look at that i'm not a hendrix expert in fact i only learned I'm, i should be ashamed to say this but i'm not because you always learn more about music i didn't know until my good friend Omar Hakim it finally educated me on why Hendrix was so remarkable for what he was doing. And what Omar was telling me, cause, cause he said, look, for instance, one, he, we were in his car and we were playing some, and he was playing some Hendrix for me. And then he said, listen to that distortion. He said, now today's guitar players. Have a bunch of effects. They you and, and they have for, for, for decades now. They use pedals, they use electronic uh distortion to get that sound. He said what separated Hendrix from everyone, he was the first one, and I, I'm paraphrasing him. He he did this by blasting those Marshall amps up and then turning and facing those amps. With his guitar, which created that distortion, this was all done by him naturally, without any effects pedals. He understood the instrument. He understood the amplification. He understood how to get those sounds. And that's when, when people talk about him being the greatest and what he was. He was the first guitar player to actually do some of these kind of things and to make... All these common things that we hear in, in electric guitars now that sound so common came from Hendrix and his understanding of the instrument. So, Russell, I'm really glad for the uh, for the knowledge. I'll look into it. Thank you. I appreciate it so much, James Golden. It's Saturday morning. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. More of your calls coming up. Also later on this morning, and later on is coming fast. America's small caffeinated mom's going to join us, too. James Golden, Sterling with you here on WABC. Do not go away.
0: Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio.
1: Our number trio, our number three here on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You want to be part of the program? 800 848 WABC. The number to call Eight hundred eight four eight 800 848 WABC. You're going to spend as much time with phones as we can this hour. People have been waiting patiently to weigh in, and we want to have you weigh in on whatever's on your mind this morning. A few headlines for you before we get back to the phones. Chris Christie is calling Donald Trump a con artist and claims that he's grifting people. Republican presidential candidate, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie took another swipe at former president Trump claiming he's a con artist. He said, you really need to have people who are donating 10, 20, 50 bucks to your campaign. Pay for your high-priced lawyers and indictments. You put all your you you put all on yourself by paying off a porn star and holding back classified documents, in spite of the fact that they've been asked voluntarily for 18 months. I mean, this is ridiculous. And he's using these people in a way that I don't think they completely know about. In other words, you Trump donors are stupid. You don't know why you're giving Trump the money. Chris Christie knows, but you don't know. You're stupid. He's a con artist, and you're too stupid to realize he's a con artist. People are giving to him because they think they're going to help him get reelected president when all he's doing is grifting off these people. He's a con artist who's conning them out of their money, pretending he wants to be their president. Well, what he wants is a free ride for the legal defense he's getting on for the criminal charges he personally faces. Mm-hmm. Whoa. So I wonder what you Trump supporters think about that. You're, you're stupid. You're, I I should not say you Trump supporters. Let me amend that. You Trump donors, small dollar donors, as it's called, even though giving somebody 50 bucks is not a small thing, 10, 20, 50. You're being grifted according to former New Jersey governor Chris Christie. And you don't even know what you're doing. He's just using you to pay off your legal defenses. The Democrats are up against it. They have their undies in a Cornell West candidacy on the Green Party line. There's another one. CNN did a long story about how the fact that some of his Cornell West longtime political allies and friends are confused as to why he's running and how he's also alarmed top Democrats and black leaders as a potential ticking time bomb for Joe Biden. Isn't this amazing? It's amazing. By the way, next time Rocco calls in, tell him Derek just texted me, he says, I'll take the mantle. Thank you. Um, Cornel West, political philosopher, proud agitator, tapping into his semi-celebrity to attack Biden from the left, where the president has never been fully embraced. So now Cornell West is the problem. I have uh, uh, recounted over the last few shows how no labels, Now, Senator, former Senator Joe Lieberman is involved with this No Labels group, and there are a few others, political names that insiders know. No Labels has been around for years. Rush used to talk about No Labels when it first got started. They have been around for years. Yet, all of a sudden this year, they're being described in the mainstream press as some shadowy group. They're not shadowy. They've been talking about no labels for well over, uh, at least it has to be almost a decade now. But they're coming under attack. Cornel West under attack. What are these guys so afraid of? They are afraid because what they see is that one, two, three-point margin might mean A lot in the election and they will do anything, anything to try to ensure that Joe Biden is successful, including attacking their own. You see, the grandson of JFK came out with a really harsh rebuke of his uncle. And I just keep thinking, I wonder what Joe Kennedy, the old patriarch of the Kennedy clan, would think about this. He must be spinning. This was the guy that was, it's Kennedy through and through. I mean, he. you talk about a political operator, and you also talk about a guy with an interesting past. Look into the history of Joe Kennedy, how the Kennedys made their money, and still make money, by the way. And then look at Kennedy's operation. Look at Joe Kennedy and how Jack Kennedy was elected in the 1960 campaign. But to see Kennedys turning on each other in public, I mean, throughout the years, no matter what the Kennedy scandals were, and there were many, especially when it came to Uncle Teddy, we just went past the anniversary of Chappaquiddick, I think it was last week. Kennedy's never turned on each other. Now you've got Kennedys turning on each other in public. I never thought I would see this politically. By the way, there was a piece. I think I, I it was. Oh, I don't even remember the name. C T something. There was a, a a story today from Robert Kennedy who was asked about his voice, and he explained. If you have heard Robert Kennedy, it is he apologized to his interviewer for his voice and he explained that what is happening with his voice it's a neurological issue that he's trying to work through and it is it's really amazing that Robert Kennedy is standing as tall as he is because he is being slammed the congressional testimony he gave the democrats the stacy plastic woman from uh, the Virgin Islands, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and others really took after him. Jerry Connolly. Robert Kennedy is being slammed from one end of the Democrat party through another. And of course you don't see anything about debates. whether Joe Biden would be willing to stand on the same stage as Robert Kennedy Jr. or even Cornel West. But everybody that poses a potential threat to Joe Biden is being smeared up and down the mainstream press, whether it's Cornel West, whether it's Robert Kennedy Jr., who's even being smeared by members of his own family, or from the Democrat Party establishment. The Kennedy name at one point was the gold standard for Democrats. And now you've got Kennedys turning on each other in public. A California school superintendent was thrown out of a meeting, and I talked about this briefly yesterday, where parents actually took charge of the school board, and this guy is a state superintendent. They threw him out of the Chino Valley Unified School Board meeting after he attacked, he attacked, the school system superintendent, attacked the idea that parents should be, parents should be advised when their kids want to use bathrooms that don't go with their biological gender, or when they are letting school people know they want to transition into transgender, which the parents would be responsible, their minors would be responsible for not only their medical condition, but their medical bills. But, oh, no, we can't tell the parents. And this is the state superintendent of schools defending the idea that parents should not be advised of what's going on with their children in schools. In other words, the kids belong to the state, not to the parents. I must tell you that idea comes straight out of the communist handbook. The idea that parents do not have the right to determine and help determine the future of their own children, but rather it is the state that has those rights. And the fact that, look, Democrats, I had a friend of mine that told me recently that evil is no longer hiding. It used to be that evil hid in the shadows. Evil did not show itself openly. But now we are looking and living in a time where evil is showing itself in many forms openly and brazenly for all to see. And the idea that we are in America and we are seeing a state-appointed official, the California State Superintendent of Schools, demanding that parents take down a school board take down a resolution that parents should be advised when their children are about to embrace on a course of action that could change the rest of their lives. These are minor children. And you have a state official saying, no, parents don't need to know. It is our uh, obligation to protect the privacy of the children, The privacy of the children against their own parents. Strange times indeed, my friends. There is a woman in Georgia, Georgia, Misha Maynard, who has switched. She's a state legislature, a state legislator. Who has switched from a, being a lifelong Democrat to a Republican. She's a black woman. She becomes the only, the only black Republican woman, the first, you know how liberals usually talk about something's historic. Well, they're not celebrating this history because she becomes the first black Republican woman to ever serve in the Georgia general assembly. She says that legislative Democrats drove her out of the Democrat party for breaking with their orthodoxy. That they've tried to sabotage her and everything that she's done for her constituents. She says she thought it was okay not to agree with certain things as a Democrat, but they told her, you know, those are values we just don't have. What values? She was for school choice. She wanted parents to have the ability to send their own children to the schools that they thought were best for their children. And this is something that you don't do if you're a state Democrat. She's in an ultra democratic swath of Atlanta. This woman is brave. She may have just kissed her political career goodbye, but I hope we won't see the last of her. In fact, Lisa said she was going to try to get her on the show, so maybe we will have her in coming weeks. She says she's encouraging more black Americans and black Democrats in particular to take a look at what she's doing. You might have this coat on, but I suggest you look at the lining. See what's on the inside. (coughs) Yeah, take a close look at what Democrats are really doing to you. Anyway, yes, I'm still coughing. I got sick on the flight back from Italy, from Venice. Anyway, your call's coming up later on. America's small caffeinated mom, James Golden, aka Snurly, 800 848 WABC. It is Saturday morning. Thank you for being part of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC.
0: Saturday morning, radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snertley, on 77 WABC.
1: I don't know how anybody can listen to this and not hear Look what Larry's doing, right? Yeah, now this is the inner. This is one of the innovators of modern day funk. Yeah, Sly and the Family Stone. And you know what else is going on in here? That this was new at the time. They're using a rhythm box underneath, as well as live drums. Yeah, if you listen closely, you can hear the rhythm box. Was it a CR seventy eight? I don't know which one they were using back then, but this is one of the first. So I'm like, what is that? When it was new, it's like, yeah, that was a rhythm box. And then later on, Larry Graham, when he did Graham Central Station, had um, had his graphic, I forgot the woman's name that played with him, Chocolate. And Chocolate, Just that's all she did on stage. She had a rhythm box that she would play on stage. the family stone bring us back on wabc talk radio 77 saturday morning let's go to sandra who's been waiting patiently in new jersey sandra how are you
7: it's a pleasure to wait because i'm listening to you as i wait so how could you beat that <laughs> um i wanted to say that this morning on the ticker file on newsmax it said basically that the white house will be preparing for another pandemic and recently i had a conversation with my brother And we were saying, I bet they'll plan another pandemic of some sort right before the election. And there I see this morning the White House is planning for another pandemic. You know, the World Health Organization, they have the power, I think, to declare a disaster of any sort. And then we become... Held hostage in a way now, there
1: has been a lot of reporting on what is inside this WHO treaty. And I wish I could tell you, I don't have it in front of me, so I'll have to do some researching on it. And I don't want to say anything on that that is inaccurate because when you start talking WHO and UN and all the rest of this stuff, you've entered into kookland sometimes. I'm not saying that everything that people are saying is kooky. But I'm saying that some of it, some of it, and I've been hearing this stuff for years, some of it is kooky. So I'm going to have to look and see what is actually inside. And I know this is real, that the WHO was trying to make a move to, to obtain more power as an organization over what happens when there are these worldwide pandemics. And so I don't want you to think I'm giving short shrift to what you're saying, because I'm not. I'm just saying I need to be on firm footing before I talk about it. And at the moment, I don't have it in front of me, and I need to review it. Now, as to what you were saying about preparing for another, we need to be prepared for another pandemic. Remember that, that Dr. Fauci has been saying this all along. By the way, Senator Rand Paul's office, one of his offices burned up the other day. There are a lot of people looking at that saying, hmm. they all just, oh, listen, hmm, Rand Paul's office burned. Hmm. Uh, and the other day, it was also widely reported that the Biden administration finally, and I reported it too, the story that the Biden administration had stopped funding for the Wuhan Virological Institute, but there was a wait-stop because we had been told as the American people that, whoa, no, we're not funding that. How do you stop funding on something that we're supposedly not funding? And Rand Paul had been at the center of that argument, that very public argument with Dr. Fauci. So I think there are a lot of people, Sandra, like you, and I'm so glad that you waited, and thank you for bringing this up, who are worried and wondering. There are a group of people, and I've mentioned this before, too, who for now for almost two years have been calling this the pandemic. And I never, you know, I, I but I'm going to tell you something. There are so many unanswered questions. And I have raised many of them. I won't raise them all again today. It would, it's a litany of questions surrounding COVID and surrounding this past pandemic. Everything from the origin, the true origin, not what we were told about some wet market 50 miles away from Wuhan, all the way through these various treatments, And, of course, there are a large body of people who believe that COVID was a man-made. When I say man-made, I should say an altered virus. And there are people, many of them, highly credible scientists who are arguing this. I am not a scientist, I do not make claims, but I am telling you, there are a lot of questions that remain to be answered about the last pandemic, and also, by the way, SARS. So thank you, Sandra, thank you so much. Let's go to Rockaway and Russell. Russell, you're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurly. It's Saturday morning. It's our Saturday morning extravaganza. How are you?
5: Uh, Good morning, James. Um, Just getting back to your musical theme, the uh, Funkadelic, a lot of the Delic was put in by Jimi Hendrix when he released Wipe the Sweat, parts one, two, and three.
1: Wow. You now, you know, you he, no, I'm not familiar with that. I'm going to have to go back through all my Hendrix catalog. No, I'm not. I, I don't mind telling you. So that's why I said, wow, I'm going to have to go take a look at that. I'm not a Hendrix expert. In fact, I only learned. I'm, I should be ashamed to say this, but I'm not, because you always learn more about music. I didn't know. Until my good friend Omar Hakim it finally educated me on why Hendrix was so remarkable for what he was doing, and what Omar was telling me, because because he said, look, for instance, one, he we were in his car and we were playing some and he was playing some Hendrix for me, and then he said, listen to that distortion. He said, now today's guitar players have a bunch of effects They you and and they have for, for for decades now. They use pedals, they use electronic uh distortion to get that sound. He said what separated Hendrix from everyone, he was the first one and I, I'm paraphrasing him. He he did this by blasting those Marshall amps up and then turning and facing those amps With his guitar, which created that distortion, this was all done by him naturally, without any effects pedals. He understood the instrument. He understood the amplification. He understood how to get those sounds. And that's when when people talk about him being the greatest at what he was. He was the first guitar player to actually do some of these kind of things and to make... All these common things that we hear in, in electric guitars now that sound so common came from Hendrix and his understanding of the instrument. So, Russell, I'm really glad for the uh, for the knowledge. I'll look into it. Thank you. I appreciate it so much, James Golden. It's Saturday morning, Saturday morning radio extravaganza. More of your calls coming up also later on this morning, and later on is coming fast. America's small caffeinated mom's going to join us too. James Golden, Sterling with you here on WABC. Do not go away.